The scripture reading for this morning is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 to 10. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This ends the reading of the word of God. God bless his word this morning. Okay. I've been very, 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 let me say it one more time, very nervous about the introduction to to today's sermon. I don't want you to think I'm the bird that flew off the cuckoo's nest, (laughs) nor that I live in some kind of alternate reality that none of you guys live in. Um, I don't do that. But my goal is to ask you to stay with me through the introduction because I want to bring us to the reason we're here, which is to participate in communion and to answer the question why there's only two sets of footprints and how Christ carries us through everything in life. And for me, I believe for me, the introduction kind of will bring it all together. So please stay with me. I hope you will till we get to the end of this. See if this don't all work together. Also, I won't be reading any notes today. I'm going to be coming straight from the heart. So there you have it. Not that I don't when I'm reading notes, but sometimes I do when I'm looking like that. When the Reverend Jay Gandy of the Haibong Chong Christian Servicemen Center in Seoul, South Korea, came to the piano and took us into worship. It was like the floodgates of heaven opened up to us in the love of God. In those services, we raised our hands and sung to the Lord. We laughed. We cried. Many ran around the altar. Many ran around the whole church building. Some fell down anywhere they could in the church. Some came to the altar and would repent for hours of the time while the worship was going on, while the offering was going on, while the singing was going on, while the preaching was going on, after the service was going on. When the service was closed, people would stay because the Reverend Jay Gandy played that piano and took us right into a place of worship that I never wanted to leave. That experience... Those services impacted me so much, it reflects a part of my life today in my prayer life, in my preaching, in my worship, in my witness. Everything that formulated me as a Pentecostal and its tradition is a part of me today. Some of you may have been to a Pentecostal church and you said, these guys are wacko. I had no problem with that. They're nuts. Some of you have heard about the things that happen in a Pentecostal church. They do. 
They happen just like you hear it. I told Amy when she came to mind for the first time, I said, you'll see the choir, then you won't. The preacher literally will jump from this pew to this pew to this pew, so get away from him and don't make eye contact because if he spots you, you're toast. She says, I don't believe nothing you say. I said, they will be praying in what's called the Spirit. They just start saying in, a, in a, what they call their prayer language. And people's going to be everywhere, Amy. She goes, I don't believe you. That particular night, everything I said was going to happen, happened in the service. She says, I can't believe churches like that. That just formulates a part of who I am. So convinced was I of the Pentecostal tradition that when I came home from Korea, I had a big yellow hat. On the big yellow hat was written two words in red, real highlighted. It was called Pentecostal worship. I wanted everybody to know, first I was Pentecostal, and that our style of worship was the only way to reach God and was the only way He was pleased. And what comes with that is a level of believing. Now, all traditions, all denominations have a level of faith or believing, and they, within that faith tradition, they have different things they believe. And brethren, some ladies still wear the, the covering, do they not? They may have a traditional more form of worship. Um, other brethren churches might be a little more, not so much. They would call one very conservative. They might call one very progressive. If you wanted to define me, you could have defined me as just, he's just crazy. Because I take God's word for what it says. Every promise in the Bible is for me. Every word in the Bible is for me and is to be lived out. And anything that I see in the Bible as the way I'm to live or the blessings I'm to receive from God, if it don't work, then there's a kink in my system. Somehow I have not pleased God enough because if I would have pleased him, these things wouldn't be happening to us. And for a while, this tradition seemed to work pretty well. But then you know how it goes. You get married. You start having kids. Things change a little bit. Now, me and Amy, we made great money in Germany. I had money that you would I just had a lot of money. But you know when you're told, and you might laugh about it, they said, you won't believe it, but in a month you could lose everything you have. I never believed that. How could anybody lose so much money in a month? I experienced it. Have a ton of money one day, have a ton of doctor bills the next day, and the insurance says we're only going to cover so much of it, the rest is up to you. You lose your job, you get hurt. Something happens. So when they say, you can lose all your money in a month, I didn't believe it, but it happened. Our kids got sick. My sister-in-law, she moved with, in with us, and she had a baby, and we helped take care of the baby. I was going to school full-time. I worked a full-time job to carry insurance. I worked a part-time job. I helped take care of the baby. Amy worked two jobs and helped take care of the baby so that we could have things. So this idea that my prayer and my giving and stuff would insulate me from these things, it didn't work. In a moment of time, our lives have changed forever. There was no woman that I ever known more holier than Amy's mom. She lived at the church. Now some of you, your whole life is spent at the church. She was a secretary. She led the worship. She was everything to the preacher. She meant the world to that congregation. Two minutes. Two minutes from the house at a stop sign. Her and Amy's niece 
was struck by a drunk driver, killed him. Well, how does your Pentecostal fellowship and your Pentecostal worship and all of the things that you believe deal with that? I remember her, my sister-in-law, running down the street to my class saying, Mom's dead. Anyway, Mom's dead, Mom's dead, Mom's dead is all she could say. All that stress on the relationship pretty much destroyed me and Amy's marriage and the fact that I didn't treat her good, which they didn't teach you about that as a husband, as a believer, how you're supposed to treat and honor your wife. All these stresses, all these pressures come upon you as a believer and you sit back and think, what about this worship experience that I'm having? How can I be lifted into the heavens in the one moment of time? How can I give my tithe, my offering, and my missions? And you say you're going to protect us. This is your blessing. And then all of a sudden, you're going to deny me everything that you've promised me. When I look at the Apostle Paul, this is kind of what I see. Nobody had more faith than Paul. He experienced Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to him and says, what's going on, man? Paul experienced physical healing in his body. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, birthed about 14 churches, went on three missionary journeys, bitten by a snake, not harmed at all. Paul could pray in the prison jail cell. Just pray to God one little prayer. God would open up the heavens and open the jail cell and him and his partner would walk right through the jail to do the work of God. How could one man with such strong faith, strong love, and strong commitment to the Lord Jesus be told no? He had all the faith. He had the right worship. He had the right words. He was walking in the right direction. He was doing the right things. And he says, I came to God. And he said, I asked God to remove this thorn in my flesh. And I asked the king of glory three times to do this for me. And Jesus said, no. That don't work for me. How could a man of such great faith, following Christ and doing God's will and doing all that he asked, be told no? Paul would say that, listen, I've not even taken money from you. I've never done you wrong. I've worked for what I've gotten. I've never asked one thing from this church. Christ, I've never asked anything from you. I've done everything you asked. And you tell me no. But Paul also knew what it was to live the hard way of life. He says it right there in 2 Corinthians that he would rejoice in persecution. I've been hungry. I've been shipwrecked. I was let down on a a bucket so that I could be set free. I've been rich. I've been poor. Things has happened to me in my life. I have been on the downside of life. And in those things, I will rejoice and I will be happy. A man who has the strongest faith in the world, who follows and trusts Christ, Christ tells him no, but then he says, I'm going to rejoice in these other things in my life. When I'm hurting and down, I will be thankful to the God who made me and created me and who saved my soul so that when I'm going through persecutions and trials and tribulations, when I'm hungry and I don't understand what's going on, I will trust him because he gives me that what's unmerited favor, his grace. 
Paul said he asked God three times. Well, it seems to me this happened to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, I mean, he had the Holy Spirit before he was even born. He had great power. He could raise the dead. He set people straight. He did things right. He had all the faith in the world. He told his disciples, I could call the soldiers from heaven to come down and finish all this now, but I've limited who I am and what I'm going to do. He says, I am God in the flesh. I can forgive sins. I can do all the things man can't. Jesus lived on the pinnacle of life as we see it. He could call a fish to give out some gold. Has anybody here got that kind of faith, you fishermen? Let's go fishing together. I want to call some fish. I want to get out a piece of gold. I want to pay my taxes like that. But Jesus could do whatever he wanted. But he limited himself. When he asked him about the end times, he says, Only my Father in heaven knows these things. He limited himself and who he was and what he was going to do. But did you know God denied him three times? He goes out by himself. Now, the funny thing is, God never answered the Lord Jesus like he did Paul. Jesus came when he knows he's about to go to the cross. And he says, Father, please don't let this happen. You can do all things. Don't make this happen to me. Father, did you not hear my first prayer? The weight of the world is on me now. Don't make me do this. Father, I come to you again and I ask you to help me. Would you just come under me and gird me and guide me? I can't do this. Is there any other way to fulfill your will and the desire of your heart than making me go to that cross? And God never answered. And Jesus said, Nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. Both of them lived on the highest realm of spirituality there was. Both of them prayed and asked God for deliverance. And God for healing and God to make it right. And God said no. What's going on? Then Paul says there was a thorn. A messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Now people say it was because his eyes weren't completely healed. And maybe there was a crank in his body or something. Whatever. But it could have been that this thorn in his flesh with those who were against him, which were they always against him in the first and second Corinthians, they came against him. He is not a man of God. He does not follow God. He does not have the marks of God. Don't listen to him. He's a false prophet. Maybe every time he went to prayer, when he got done preaching, somebody came behind him and says, that's not a man of God. That's not who you should follow. That's not who you should be behind. And Paul says, I'm sick of this. You know that I love you. You know that I'm going to follow you. Why don't you just put this away? And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Well, now I have a lot of trouble. I can't identify with the Lord of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's not given to me without measure. I can't raise the dead. I don't have all the things that the Lord Jesus had to help him get through his uh, problem with God. I can't identify with the Apostle Paul. I've never been shipwrecked for my faith. Nobody's really ever beat me up for my faith or made fun of me for my faith. I haven't went hungry for my faith. None of these things that I see in Paul or in the Lord Jesus uh, don't seem to resonate with me. And I don't think I resonate with them. Now you may think this is callous or weird. They were never married. 
They don't know what it was to lose a child. They didn't experience what I experienced. So how do me and Paul, how do me and Jesus, how do we come together? And when I was studying this, it just, for me now, it just hit me. In verse 7, when Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure. Here's all your Pentecostal worship. Here it all is. Here's all your experiences in life. And you really thought you had it going on. You really thought you were something else. You really thought all this kind of stuff works. Shot down. Sure, you can get bit by a snake. Sure, you can preach the gospel and the prison is open. Sure, you can do all these things. But who are you to bust in my presence, God says. How dare you talk to your mom and dad like that, Jesus? Now, take it for the way I'm saying it, okay, in my own mind. Just how can you be so mean to the scribes and the Pharisees thinking you're all of that? I'm God. You are my son. You are following me. You are serving me. It was all as a way to keep them humble. Trials, tribulations, persecutions, whatever we're going through, all the pains and hurts in our lives, it keeps us humble. It keeps us right to the cross of Calvary and say, I need you. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your favor. It's not about me. It's not about my life. But it's about the king of glory. If we never experienced hurt, if we never experienced loss, if we never experienced pain, those around us would just say we're cocky. Who do you think you are? I don't want to follow a God like that who don't treat you different than he treats me. I don't want, why do you not have to go through the same, same things that I go through? Every preacher, whether they're on TV or not, they have pain. They're hurting. Everybody has hurt. Everybody has pain. Everybody has lost. You can't hide it. And everybody deals with it in his or her own way. But for the believer, we run to the cross and we say, I need you. I need your help. I need your son. I need your spirit. So I want to tell you what I believe some ways that God helped Paul, God helped Jesus, and God helps us in our time of hurt, in our time of struggle. They're not in any kind of order. I'm just going to throw them out there as a practical way to help us when we're hurting to realize that Jesus Christ is carrying us. Friends. Paul had friends. He lists them in Colossians. He lists them at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. He lists them into the book of Romans. When he was in prison, his friends came to him and told him the care of the church is what was going on. Friends led him down when he was about to be beaten and slain. Friends told him not to do anything on the boat. Friends watched over him. Friends protected him. And friends helped him out in his life. Paul had friends to keep him facing the mark where God was trying to take him to. Jesus had friends. You know who his friends was? His best friend was Mary. 
Those ladies followed him everywhere he went. Never said in the word of Bible other than that they gave of their sustenance to him. Whatever their way of life was before, they took all that money. And they said, Jesus, you need some food. Let us take care of that. You need a new pair of sandals. Let us take care of that. They was never talked about. They was never bragged on. They was never in the limelight. But those ladies were his friends. And those ladies went to the tomb. The disciples ran like chickens. But the ladies went running to the tomb and said, Where is my Lord? Where is my God? And where is my King? I want to minister to him. Jesus had friends that nobody knew about that carried him through his mission, carried him through his life, and helped him along the way. And those friends were named Mary. Don't discount your Christian friends. Your Christian friends have your back. Whether you like to hear what they have to say or not, they got you covered. Your lost friends want you to come to where they're at. But your Christian friends are there helping you and girding you up and helping you get to where you want to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't discount your godly Christian friends. They are there for you to help you. They had the Holy Spirit. When Ananias came to the house to lay his hands on Paul, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God from the beginning. There was no limit to his faith or what he could do. He limited himself, but he had no limits on him. He withdrew himself to do certain things. But he had the Holy Spirit of God in his life. Don't discount the work of the Spirit of God in your life. When you accepted him as Lord and Savior, he sealed you. He protected you. He watched over you. And he looked out for your good. Don't discount his work in your life. Thirdly, they had the word. Paul had the word because God said to him, he says, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen in your journey with me. And Paul recounts this over and over in the book of Acts. He said that trials and persecutions and pain and suffering is going to follow me wherever I go. And he willingly told that to the king. God told him what he was going to do in his life. Jesus had the word. Did he not study the law and the prophets when he said, this is written in the law of prophets. I know this is going to happen to me. I read it in the Psalms. He was the word. He knew the word. He understood the word. He knew the call of God on his life. The word was with him. Don't discount the word of God in your life. It's in the scriptures you find comfort. It's in the scriptures you find direction. It's in the scriptures you will find him. It is through that word that God speaks to your heart. But for us and for Paul, the word became flesh. And the Bible says it dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came in the body. That word became flesh. And he walked a certain way. And he walked a certain path. And he says in Matthew 11. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Today on this communion Sunday. We have said communion service will be the most important service we'll ever take part of we remember the Lord Jesus and what he's done is there somebody would go down let them know downstairs that we're about to ready to start the communion service so the children could come up that he knows in our lives what he's done 
He became flesh and he dwelt among us. Today's service is about us. Jesus Christ takes those nail-scarred hands. He takes that broken body and he takes that shed blood and he reaches down up under us and he puts us in his arms and he said, I'll carry you. I will take you. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will comfort you. I will nourish you. I will do whatever I need to do as your king to get you through that trial, to get you through that storm, to get you through wherever you're at in your life. I am here for you. This is what communion is all about today. He is here for you. He carries you. He carries me. And he's going to bring us through whatever we're in, whatever trial, whatever persecution, whatever we're facing. He's going to bring us through. And when we look down and we look and say, Lord, how did you do it? I only seen one set of footprints. And he says to you, it's my grace. It's my love. It's my nail-scarred hands. It's my broken body. It's my blood that I shed for you. It is here, and this is why I'm going to get you through. So I want you to remember this morning on Communion Sunday that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it is his footprints in this broken body, in this shed blood. These are his footprints. This is the one who leads us and guides us, and he huddles us up, and he takes us in. And he says, I will carry you. And when he does that, don't that keep us humble? Don't that keep us submitted to the cross? And don't that heal our hearts? Jesus Christ truly carries us. Whoever wrote this poem, Footprints, hit it right on the head. But you and I, we get to experience that this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name, thanking you the power of communion. That not only do we remember that you died for us and to remember your coming again, that you shed your blood for us and you made us and you changed us and you molded us. But Lord Jesus, let us remember that you pick us up and you carry us. And you lead us and you guide us. And in that carrying us, you protect us. You watch over us, Lord. That it's your footprints that are leading us and guiding us. It's your footprints that are walking through the messiness of life. It's you who are doing it. And you do it because you love us. If we have been high-minded or haughty, Lord, we do ask for forgiveness. We want to be humble in your eyes and sight that when we share the gospel, it's that what you've done for us. Oh, God, we just want to thank you for saving our souls and changing our lives, Lord, and leading us and guiding us along the way. Lord, just heal our hearts in this service this morning. Give us the things to say to others around us that are hurting. Continue to carry us, Lord, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.